People often view their digital selves as an extension of their personal selves. Like it or not, the digital persona you portray on social media platforms like TikTok, Instagram, or Snapchat really matters. You may be one of those people who'd say, I don't really care about what I post. You might even make fun of people who deeply care about how they are portrayed on social media. But you would be the one, ironically enough, not living in reality. It's funny, the person who is engrossed in the digital world is the person living closer to reality than the person who doesn't keep up with appearances online. I'll tell you why. We can all agree that social media is probably the eighth deadliest sin. It's super fake, superficial, and there's a great chasm between what you see online and what you see in quote-unquote so-called physical reality. The fake it till you make it mantra is strife on platforms like Instagram. Maybe your friend just posted a smiling picture of her latest travels to Napa Valley when you know damn well she was complaining to you just the other week about this, that, and the third. Despite all of this, we can all agree that your curated presence online is almost as important as your physical presence. I cannot tell you the number of times I've seen my friends judge another girl purely based off of her Instagram or her other social media platforms. They'll attribute good characteristics to a person with an aesthetic feed or someone with a lot of followers. And they'll put a huge question mark next to someone who doesn't have an Instagram they agree with. Sure, it's a bit mean, but these have slowly become the rules of the game. The world is pushing everyone to adapt or get left behind. Ten years ago, the top jobs kids wanted to do when they grew up were to be a veterinarian or a musician. Today, most kids want to be YouTubers or influencers. I think this one fact demonstrates the pervasive nature of what it means to have a digital persona. It is fully desired to have a great digital persona to the point where it is now the number one job kids want to do when they grow up. You can be a total shit person in real life, but if you have a pop in TikTok or Instagram page, society rewards you greatly for that. The incentive is already there and humans are biting at the bait. For better or for worse, our society is heading full force into that direction. You're listening to Dresser, the podcast about luxury fashion and the forces that influence it. History doesn't repeat itself, but it sure does rhyme. You'll hear in this episode that a lot of things about digital fashion seem eerily familiar. Is switching over to digital fashion going to ruin the meaning of luxury entirely? Or is it going to revolutionize it for the better? I want to examine these questions with you all today. At the top of this podcast, I briefly discussed social media and its state today. It may seem entirely pervasive in our lives right now, but the future is clearly for it to become even more so. Now that people have gotten used to posting pictures of themselves on the internet, and it's no longer considered weird, in fact, it's the norm, it's time to turn that dial up. 
tech companies have slowly introduced avatar versions of ourselves. Bitmojis in Snapchat. Me emojis in Apple, which move along with your facial expressions. If you smile, your me emoji smiles back at you. The first time I tried it, I was chuffed. <laughs> it was kind of cute. The darker side to this trend is that slowly these companies are breaking down that barrier between the digital world and the physical. They're getting you comfortable seeing yourself in a digital medium. Augmented reality is an emerging technology that has been perfected in the last couple of years. Not to be confused with virtual reality, augmented reality is a technology that combines both the physical and virtual worlds together. Snapchat filters are probably the most prolific examples of augmented reality, whereas virtual reality is a computer-generated representation of another world or universe. So, to hammer this point home, those Snapchat filters, which give you dog ears, that's AR, when you put on Oculus goggles, that's VR. I think the most compelling use case that blurs the line between reality and the digital world are beautifying filters. It is commonly accepted that if you use a beautifying filter and use that photo on a more, quote, serious social media platform like a dating website or an Instagram post, it's something that is looked down upon. However, the fact that a good number of people do it still signifies that they see themselves this way. When someone posts a picture of themselves with plumper lips on their Tinder profile, they want you to see themselves the way they see themselves. There's no difference between the AR version and their true selves in a way. Now, it doesn't become hard to see this escalating into other areas beyond just filters and the face. A key theme of the digital revolution is the tension between reality and artifice. The authentic and the artificial oftentimes blur together and it is this confusion that all of us have to contend with. We create online personas of ourselves yet at the same time we remain painfully aware of the total fabrication of our online selves. At this point in time, most people can see the line that separates artifice from reality, but that soon may not be the case. When Facebook announced that they were rebranding to Meta and then subsequently launched plans for a metaverse, people were initially appalled. I get it. It's a scary thought to contend with, but we kind of are already in it. You and I. If you're anything like me, you'll painfully know the meaning of a binge watching. When I start a TV show, an invisible force forces me to finish the entire show in like one weekend. That is me being engrossed in another world for basically 48 hours straight. I once spent an entire weekend alone in college watching all six Lord of the Rings movies each by the way, is more than three hours long. The only thing I did was eat, sleep, and Lord of the Rings. When big evil Facebook announces a whole new social media platform, it seems much more sinister and dystopian than when Netflix launches a really good-ass show. However, looking just a little bit beyond the surface, you'll see that our society is already set up to take on what was once considered science fiction.
I mean, everyone sits on their asses all day long staring at screens, big screens, small screens, any type of screen. We have screens for entertainment. We have screens for communication. We have screens for work. There's even a screen when you work out or maybe perhaps on your smart fridge. Incrementally, we're inching towards spending the bulk of our time in a sort of alternate reality. It may seem hard to believe that an augmented or virtual reality could replace the real one, but it's going to. And if everyone you knew was spending the majority of their time in the metaverse, wouldn't you? With the expansion of social media, the definition of luxury fashion too is expanding. Now, before I dive headfirst into virtual fashion, I want to go through a bit of history on the industry. Luxury fashion product mixes used to only consist of, let's call it, quote, fancy stuff. Suits, watches, handbags, dresses. What all of these items have in common is that you don't really wear them on a daily basis. With the rise in popularity of athleisure and the societal shift towards more casual dressing, luxury fashion has moved to fill these empty spaces in their product categories. The fact that luxury fashion houses were able to get people to buy into a luxury athleisure is something that boggles my mind. When I work out, or lounge, I'm wearing something from Walmart or something I got for free at a corporate event or something I thrifted for like a dollar. Not Lululemon, not Aloe Yoga, and certainly not something from a big fancy luxury fashion house. I realize though that this is the minority mindset when it comes to athleisure with the great resignation and everyone's desires to work from home. The shift towards casual wear is even greater now. YSL, Gucci, Prada, you name it, all have athleisure lines. $1,000 sweatshirts, I guess, is a thing now. If you're someone from 2010 and you randomly got transported to 2022, you'd be appalled. But this is how it is today. Sneakers are another huge item I need to touch on. They are also now considered luxury items. Brands like Yeezy, Rick Owens, and Balenciaga, even some collaborations with Nike, have set up shop and branded themselves as it luxury sneakers. So you'll see, just because luxury fashion can seem stuffy, and yes, it absolutely is sometimes, the whole industry can change in a matter of just a couple of years. Before, Athleisure was unheard of, but now practically every single luxury brand you can think of has some sort of stake in lounge. That's the material world. Luxury is also slowly bleeding into the digital one. This is the bit where we discuss digital fashions. Fashion, your seatbelt. Get out of that car and jump into my hovercraft. <laughs> One thing that is already happening on a massive scale is people buying clothes just to post on TikTok or Instagram. Usually rich, pretty, young people who already have a social media presence. So that, according to my calculations, is basically everyone right now. They wear an outfit once and you'll never see it again. That outfit is, in a sense, already digital. 
The natural progression is to digitize fashion completely. Some brands have already begun to toy with this idea, and I'm going to run through a couple of examples. Muses have long been an important part of luxury fashion. Why do you think the Birkin bag is named Birkin? If you think this topic is interesting, I do a deep dive in my episode about Alexa Chung. In 2016, Louis Vuitton used a muse of a different sort. Not exactly the living, breathing, human being type. They used the popular character Lightning from the game of Final Fantasy XIII. A strategic move for sure, and here's why. The key force in growth for the luxury sector has been largely due to one country, China. A country with a rising middle and upper class with a population standing tall at 1.5 billion. So it makes sense to put a large emphasis on this one marketplace. In order to resonate with the Asian market, Louis Vuitton experimented with a new ad campaign for their spring-summer 2016 collection, which was inspired by anime, Minecraft, and Wong Kar Wai's sci-fi flick, 2046. Lightning wore a digital version of the actual collection, the physical one, that premiered at Paris Fashion Week. Instead of wielding her usual samurai sword, she is wielding a new Louis Vuitton bag. The creative director of Louis Vuitton at the time, Nicolas Gasquillier, is quite a fan of Lightning, saying in an Instagram post, she is a genuine heroine. You see, Final Fantasy is extremely popular, especially in Asia, where of course the luxury industry has the most growing potential. The game was originally released in 1987 in Japan. Today, the series has been released on basically every platform you can think of. iOS, Android, PlayStation, some more ancient platforms like Game Boy. And the fan base is vast, no doubt in the high, high millions. If Louis Vuitton had casted a regular model, it wouldn't have had such a large impact. But the fact that they chose Lightning, it's a step closer into the digital fashion realm. Another benefit that we have to talk about of having digital muses as opposed to real life breathing human being muses is that lightning will never age. Lightning will never get fat. Lightning will never complain about set conditions. Lightning will do whatever you tell lightning to do. So if lightning is effective at selling you Louis Vuitton, why would these fashion houses ever go back to human muses that's a scary thought the gaming industry is colossal in 2021 it was worth 200 billion dollars and it's projected to grow to 3.5 billion in just six years now that figure doesn't really mean anything if you don't have any context Compare that to luxury fashion, which currently sits at $300 billion, with growth in six years projected to total $3.5 billion. It's obvious that the gaming industry is growing at a much, much faster rate than the luxury fashion industry. But the thought is, if luxury fashion can tap into some of the drivers of what makes gaming so lucrative, it can evolve into something even bigger than what it is today. 
So I think gaming is so appealing because it is an alternative reality where you can be someone else instead of a regular person. You can be lightning, a brave super fighter and destroyer of men. Or you can be a cute character living in a village with anthropomorphic animals as friends. Although polar opposites, both worlds are imbued in fantasy, luxury fashion, and gaming. Interestingly, luxury fashion is about escapism too, and fantasy creation as well. Escape from the drudgery of normal everyday life and dive into something extraordinary. That's luxury fashion. Balenciaga wanted to create something extraordinary for their fall-winter 2021 collection. Instead of a traditional catwalk, they created an immersive gaming experience in which players, quote, players, would walk along a path and they would pass by virtual models wearing the latest Balenciaga collection. You can watch a video of it on YouTube, and I think it's a very forward-thinking concept, but the execution is rather crude. Luxury fashion is meant to be a fantasy, but the world Balenciaga created looked a little blocky. The game starts out at the Balenciaga store, where you are greeted by a host who honestly looks like a white walker. As you move around the path, the screen seems to jerk in a way that does not feel very natural. It sort of mimics the up and down movement of the head as a person walks. I know they're trying to go for a futuristic vibe, but it just feels like I was playing modern warfare and like I was going to get shot at at any second. The clothes looked dull and they lacked movement, if I'm going to be honest. I think one of the greatest joys of seeing clothes on the catwalk is seeing how they move with the human body. The game failed to capture that sort of movement. I know the video was initially intended to be viewed with a VR headset, but the video I viewed on their website was just meh. The video of the runway show, however, really blew my mind. There's this rare brain disorder where you can't recognize people's faces called prosopagnosia or face blindness. I once had a friend whose sister had this and she recognized people by the way that they walked. The Balenciaga show captured each model's unique way of walking and how this affected the movement of their clothes. The clothing had so much detail, from the slight shine of metal jewelry compared to the very matte nature of fabric. I think they captured it incredibly. I think doing a virtual fashion show is definitely the right PR move in the middle of a pandemic because it can seem out of touch if you're trying to sell people luxury fashion goods when the world is suffering. But a little workaround for this because companies are greedy and they don't want to stop making money just because people are losing their jobs, they're suffering, their grandpas and grandmas are dying. No, 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 no. <laughs> Doing a digital fashion show, you're kind of still getting your brand out there, yet your main message is that your brand is innovating on the future using technology as opposed to, hey, look at this $5,000 coat, please buy it. Don't put your faith too hard into these companies because a business is a business and 
A couple of months later, some of the items in the game materialized to real items you can purchase. Socks cost around $150 and a bomber jacket is $5,000. Although in this case, it doesn't look like people were quite ready to purchase a purely virtual item, especially one that will set you back $5,000. But I want to take a look at some cases where people are willing to part with some real cash for virtual fashions. In 2021, Gucci created a virtual sneaker that people can wear on apps like Roblox and VR Chat. They named the sneaker Virtual 25s. Designed by Gucci's creative director, the brand partnered with a tech company called Wanna. You can purchase the shoes for $12.99 on the Gucci app. Quite frankly, the shoes are ugly. <laughs> They're lime green and hot pink with weird curves that don't really make sense. Obviously, people interested in good fashions aren't exactly purchasing these sneakers, but I think Gucci is going after people interested in digital collectibles. For example, people who play Roblox could be their target demographic for this sneaker. The demographic for people who play Roblox are children ages between 9 to 15 who grew up with technology, aka digital natives. For those who don't know, Roblox is a game created in 2006, which is pre-Minecraft actually, but its rise to popularity has been recent. It's technically a social platform that is gamified. Roblox provides players with tools to make up their own games or socialize with each other. As much as you can create games, players can also create clothes. And you best believe people are eager to buy these clothes. The Gucci sneaker wasn't the only item purchased by Gen Zers. On May 17, 2021, Gucci created an event called Gucci Garden. A partnership with Roblox, the event is a virtual exhibition of the brand. Players can choose from a number of limited edition items for their avatars. Gucci lovers will recognize the items I'm about to rattle off. The Gucci Horsebit 1955 shoulder bag, the Gucci Marmont, the Gucci Bloom perfume, Gucci Supreme tote with B, and a number of funky sunglasses, a wide-brimmed hat, and probably the rarest and most sought-after item on the platform, the Dionysus bag with B. For those lucky enough to buy one after the event, you could buy that bag for 495 Roblox, which is around $5.94 USD. However, the item was so highly sought after and every time it got resold its value seemed to climb and climb in fact just a couple of days later the bag sold for the equivalent of 4115 us dollars depending on what size you get the price for the physical version of this bag let's just take the classic small as an example for pricing which is only $2,650. Let that sink in. The digital version sold for nearly double the bag in real life. If you're confused, so am I. The digital version is blocky and it's even ugly. 
It feels like some bastardized version of the real thing. Like an amateur artist did a bad 3D rendering of the bag. But it came from Gucci itself. Clearly, numbers do not lie. Even though it seems like they're lying in this instance. It's not just Roblox though. One game that has also successfully combined fashion and gaming is Fortnite. I've seen children save up all of their money or ask for their birthday for a new Fortnite skin. For people who are older, I guess, Fortnite is an uber popular game that is basically the digital version of Hunger Games. Last Man Standing wins. Fortnite also creates really cool and apparently very appealing skins that players can buy with real money. Fortnite has skins inspired by popular culture. You can be Rick or Morty, the DJ Marshmallow. Whatever your self-expression, Fortnite has a skin for you. What can seem counterintuitive is that it isn't a fashion game, it's a fighting game. A player's skin has nothing to do with the game at all, yet they have children clamoring to get their hands on certain skins. I think for people who are not digital natives, a lot of this may seem a bit gimmicky. It doesn't really feel like it needs to be taken seriously. One can easily brush off virtual fashions as this weird subculture. But there are, in fact, virtual luxury fashion houses emerging as well. The Fabricant is a Dutch digital fashion house created in 2018. There are two arms to the business. There is the classic fashion house arm as well as the Fabricant Studio. In the Fabricant Studio, anyone can create their own one-of-a-kind virtual garment. How it works is that a professional digital designer creates a collection. The last one was created by a designer named Steffi Fung. In her collection, there are 12 garments, 15 materials, and 28 colors creating 35,000 unique combinations. Once you have a combination that you like, you can quote unquote mint it, which is basically marketing words for now, this is an NFT. Just a quick second here for those who don't know, an NFT stands for non-fungible token. You can kind of think of it as a certificate of authenticity that will live on into perpetuity. All right, back to the story. <laughs> So it's not exactly a free-for-all creation tool like Canva is for the graphic design world. You can't create your own forms and truly be creative, but what it is, is the beginning of this industry. What I don't like about the Fabricant Studio is that they claim to want to democratize fashion. On their website, their vision is a place where, quote, everyone can let their self-expression and identity exploration run wild through digital fashion, significantly replacing the world's need for physical garments, end quote. Everyone, you say... The thing is, you can't participate in the process unless you've already bought an NFT from their marketplace. And NFTs on their platform are expensive. The cheapest item I found at the time of the writing is 29 flow or $128.24. Some of the more expensive items go for 5,000 flow or $21,960. 
So is that really for everyone? Are you really democratizing fashion? I think not. <laughs> and the fact that you guys market yourself as a luxury digital fashion house is is kind of comical for me. Don't use the word democratizing fashion <laughs> if that's the direction that you want to go in. Please, be serious now. The Fabricant also has a typical fashion house arm for their business. In 2019, they debuted the world's first digital dress called Iridescent. This was the world's first blockchain dress. Wait, 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 wait. Hold, on, hold, on, hold on, hold on, stop, stop, stop. Yes, what the heck is blockchain and how does it relate to this dress? Blockchain is essentially a digital ledger that can be used to store data. The data has integrity and cannot be tampered with because the data can be verified. Now, the important thing to note is that blockchain is a type of technology, not a single network, meaning it can be used in many different ways, from banking to real estate to fashion. In the case of the fabricant dress, this means that the dress can be verified as the real and only one. It is traceable, tradable, and collectible. The dress was bought by the CEO of Quantum Stamp, Richard Ma. He bought the dress for his wife, Mary Wren. I mean, how awesome of a gift is that? Of course, Mary can only wear the dress on digital platforms like Snapchat or Instagram, but it's kind of where millions of people congregate anyway. The dress was created in collaboration with Joanna Jaskowska, who seems like the coolest person ever. She's half Polish, half French, and I guess you could call her job description a creative technologist. She grew up in the suburb of Paris and now lives in Portland. As someone who also hated college, it was comforting to hear that although she studied visual communication in college, it really didn't matter because she learned all of her skills from the internet afterwards. She went viral in 2019 when she released an Instagram AR filter called Beauty 3000. The filter puts a sheen on your face and little bits of rainbow seem to highlight the perfect spots on your cheekbones, on the top of your brow bone. Go check it out if you haven't already. I think the filter is very compelling because the user is able to still see his or her inner beauty underneath the filter. That's just my perception. Here's what Joanna said. Quote, before January, when Beauty 3000 was launched, filters were more funny slash cute than weird and arty. Beauty is a big thing on Instagram, and it was the first beauty-related camera effect that was not a try-on makeup filter. You can definitely see a similar design language when it comes to the iridescent dress and Beauty 3000. They're both fluid, glossy, and they both have a sort of movement to it that makes both AR experiences feel alive. Fashion has always been an industry that is slow to change. I mean, the fact that luxury fashion houses are still doing collections each season is a little bit backwards. That's just my take on it. So digital fashion has been brewing and gaining traction rather slowly. I don't think fashion has fully embraced digitization the way other industries embraced digitization. 
I want to look at the virtual effects industry for a moment here. As someone who loves a good music video, it's amazing to see how they've evolved over the years. Sweetest pie. A song by Meg Thee Stallion and Dua Lipa. Two men walk into an enchanting kingdom and find Meg and Dua being temptresses. A lot of the sets were done with visual effects. In a scene where Meg and Dua get burned at the stake, that's obviously not happening in real life. Watching the behind the scenes footage, they're actually just standing on a pretty sparse set and graphics get overlaid on top of them. You could put that music video in the category of augmented reality or maybe you could just call it visual effects. Augmented reality is being used more heavily in music videos today because of improved technology. No longer does it look fake or robotic. In fact, I would say most people are rather pleased with the visual effects. The movie industry has also been using AR in many different ways. In many Marvel movies, the actors' clothing is computer generated. In the movie Eternals, for example, Angelina Jolie's giant sword staff was done using After Effects. The movie Avatar was famously shot using 3D cameras and After Effects to create the look of another planet and a race of blue creatures and the clothing they wore. The movie industry, unlike the fashion industry, has long been used to creating virtualized clothing and or whole entire worlds. And so has the music industry and the gaming industry. So it seems like an obvious inevitability that the fashion industry will make its transition over to the digital world sooner rather than later. Fashion is slowly becoming more and more digitized and as a result there are some systematic shifts happening within the luxury industry. Luxury is being redefined. Scarcity has always been used as a pillar for luxury fashion. It used to be related to the materials used in the production process. For example, high quality leather can't just be mass produced in the past. A cow has to have ample places to graze, to grow up and mature, and then you can make maybe one or two handbags from that piece of hide. Scarcity also related to the time it took to make things by hand. Expert craftsmen who knew the trade were the only ones who could make products. Today it's a little different. <laughs> Luxury is defined by perceived scarcity. Luxury fashion houses have all of the technology in place to mass produce goods. It's much quicker and sadly of lesser quality. Goods are intentionally underproduced in order to uphold the allure of exclusivity. The real crux is physical goods are finite versus in the digital world, things can be infinite. Even though raw materials may seem endless, there's only a certain amount of them on earth. I believe my generation holds on to the last connection with material luxury, traditional luxury. Children growing up today will have a very different connection to luxury because they grew up as digital natives. Soon I can see the material form becoming outdated. Just because the younger generation is okay with it doesn't mean that it should be okay. I see a push in our society of owning nothing and still being happy. People used to physically own their music. 
but now streaming is how music is consumed. The same thing goes for videos. I would even go as far to say that because everyone is obligated to pay property taxes, you technically don't even own your home, even if you finished paying off your mortgage. Because if you don't pay your property taxes, your house can get taken away from you. Crazy, right? For common people, the message of own nothing and be happy is preached to, but big businesses seem to have a different take. They're the ones clamoring to own property, to own land, and yet you sit here with absolutely nothing. I personally don't think I could ever get over the hump of owning nothing and still being happy, but the shift in this direction is undeniable. Although there are many reasons to be critical of this brave new world, there are some key benefits that digital fashion can provide. Digital objects can be infinitely scalable. Once they make one, the object can be scaled at very little cost again and again and again. In a world that is driven by consumerism and fast fashion, this can be great news. You can buy as much as you want and have it instantaneously. Digital fashion is also green, something my generation really cares about. However, there is a dichotomy that I've been observing. People have a disposable attitude when it comes to fashion, but it also appears that the younger generation wants to make a positive environmental impact with their fashion choices. Take these few examples to illustrate this dichotomy. There has been a recent crop of brands that have really grown in popularity among millennials and Gen Zers. Brands like Everlane and Reformation. They claim to be environmentally friendly fashion brands. Maybe it's a little bit of greenwashing, but maybe they truly want to make a difference. However, as much as the younger generation claims to want to go green to save the planet, they don't practice what they preach. Just follow the money. Shein, a fast fashion website that has grown astronomically. Founded in 2008, the Chinese fast fashion company is now a global juggernaut, rivaling the likes of Zara and H&M. And recently, reports surfaced that Shein is raising over $1 billion in funding at a $100 billion valuation. Target customer? Not surprisingly, millennials and Gen Zers. In our physical world, wanting to go green, but also wanting to have what's on trend, many outfits, depending on your changing mood, cannot be true at the same time. It is, well, physically impossible. However, in the digital world, this can happen. The same idea can be applied to luxury fashion, a bit of a paradox. Luxury fashion is about scarcity and consumerism. Despite the fact that luxury fashion uses scarcity as a selling tool, they aren't actually producing a scarce number of goods because of economies of scale. It's cheaper to produce 100 handbags and then destroy 30 of them than it is to make just 70. And that's actually what happens in the real world. However, with digital fashion, you can do just that, make 70 replicas without having any waste. Remember when Katniss Everdeen wore a dress that was on fire from the popular book series, The Hunger Games? This girl is on fire! You can't do that in real life, but you can in the digital world. 
Digital fashion is a new opportunity for creativity. When you release the constraints of the physical world, an endless scope of possibilities opens up. There are so many new material possibilities, new shapes and compositions available to designers of digital fashion. I think that's really exciting. Another thing I see evolving is who can become a fashion designer. A good luxury digital designer will probably be a tech whiz who is good at coding, parametric design, and 3D modeling. They no longer have to come up from a stuffy design school where they have to spend thousands of dollars to attend, but it could be a kid from Myanmar who has access to a computer and the internet. I believe that digital fashion can do what social media did for the publishing industry. Ideally, if you have a great design or a good idea, then you have the tools necessary to disseminate it. In the ideal meta world, if you have a great design, you can enter the fashion industry. No longer do people have to think about, can I source this specific type of cotton? Do I have the capital necessary to create my brand? Fashion can truly, and I'm using this word, be democratized. I think that's a great thing. Fraud detection is another problem that can be immediately solved with digital fashion. In the luxury industry, fakes and super fakes have been a hot topic of contention. Aldo Gucci has been rumored to sell fakes on the black market in the 80s when Gucci was in the decline. However, you may feel about fakes. The use of blockchain technology in fashion, you would be able to identify the true identity of any product. You can also track how it was made. Provenance can also be tracked as an item moves from owner to owner and buyers can be sure they are receiving an authentic product. As someone who loves vintage luxury, this is a great thing. Luxury fashion is able to create value to the customer independent of price. As luxury fashion currently stands, I see their creative value in a couple of different ways. One aspect or motivation to buying luxury goods is showing off to everyone that you paid a lot of money for said item. There are items in fashion which are universally recognized, like for example, monogrammed leather goods. There are also items that only those who know will know, <laughs> which is also a thrill in itself. My fashion junkies will immediately recognize a Cartier tank watch or a Max Mara coat. You can maybe even picture those items in your head right now, but to the average passerby, it just looks like a normal watch or a normal coat. In both of these cases, the customer feels that there is value and will shell out the money because of this. The third and final way I can think of is when people purchase a luxury fashions as collector's items. Collector's items will appreciate in value over time and they're usually one of a kind, or it's from a brand that holds its value really well, like Chanel or Hermes. I can see collector's items translating really well into the digital fashion world for obvious reasons. I can also see items that were bought for flexing reasons being translated into the digital world really well as well, like items with big monograms or logos. But what I'm having a hard time picturing 
is how more low-key items will be able to attract a customer who finds value in that item independent of its price. Like, for example, the Maxmara 90120, I believe that's the number, it's off the top of my head, wool coat. I'm sure high street brands like Gap or Shein will hire the best of the best designers as well. I mean, they have just as many resources as so-called luxury brands, and the quality of a Gap item or Shein item could be the same as, say, a Burberry item in the digital world. In the physical world, obviously, a Burberry item is of much higher quality, but in the digital world, you can't touch or feel a product. You can only see it for now. As discussed in previous episodes, we've already seen a breakdown in the quality of many luxury fashion brands. It's still going to be of higher quality than Shein, but still. When it comes to the digital world, I think the breakdown will be further intensified. If I were to guess, the only difference from a luxury dress and a high street dress in the digital realm would be purely in artificial scarcity. And that's it. Authenticity will become a key component when it comes to living in a virtualized society. However, the authenticity is now a sliding scale that is quickly sliding in a direction I personally do not recognize. I'm going to take online dating as an example here. What used to be considered an authentic connection was meeting someone face-to-face at a bar or out in public. Now, if you are able to meet on a dating app and have a FaceTime call with the other person, they are authentic in your own head. Someone who has their Instagram attached to their dating profile is more authentic than someone who doesn't. Of course, all of these interactions are occurring in the digital space, but they still manage to feel authentic in some capacity. That thought is mind-blowing. The definition of authenticity has shifted from in-person to digital experiences. What about a world in which our technology has gotten so good at mimicking authenticity that it becomes harder and harder to decipher what is real and what isn't? I suppose that's just another example of what I was talking about earlier with the tension between reality and artifice. Another example here from the music industry. There are many AI generators that can generate music that sound like humans singing. I mean, that actually sounds good. (laughs) AR-generated music is kind of fun, kind of creepy. It's interesting because music is supposed to be about creativity and self-expression. And when something as soulful as music can be generated by robots and and sound good and even sell records, it makes you kind of question everything a little bit. And the thing about these things is that it's hard to know where to draw the line. One personal example, I'm a huge fan of the pop band KDA. KDA, should we show them how we do it every day? Girl, Kali go girl, Kali stop, Kali go girl, Kali got a job, Kali go to work, they go on Jenna, don't get burned. 
The band was originally created to promote the video game League of Legends by casting characters from the game as their lead singers. In order to bring the band to life, they need human voices. Madison Beer, Jaira Burns, Mi Young, and So Young, I believe I probably butchered those, are the voices behind each character. On the cover art, in music videos, and even for live concerts, they use holograms. The characters from League of Legends take center stage. I personally love the band's music. Somehow this is okay, but AI-generated music to me is not okay. And that's a tricky thing. Another example of where authenticity becomes a very slippery sliding scale. Sometimes the blurring of the lines between what's real and what is not is more nefarious. Over 50% of the total web traffic on the internet is not actually done by humans, but by bots. In 2016, the United States experienced the most polarizing election in recent memory. Donald Trump versus Hillary Clinton. In the end, many people were shocked at Donald Trump's victory. But if you drove around smaller towns in rural America, like the one my parents live in, his popularity was undeniable. Months before ballots were cast, Russian bots were being used to sway public opinion in the favor of Donald Trump. Humans are highly susceptible to bandwagoning. People will do things just because other people are doing it, regardless of their own beliefs. Social media is always towing the line between the idealized version of whatever it may be and the most authentic version of whatever it may be. When Instagram and YouTube first became a thing, it was the most idealized versions that blew up. Flawless faces and perfect bodies, flawless vacation vlogs, big ass mansion tours. But recently, in the past couple of years, there has been a push for authenticity. And that's in heavy air quotes. <laughs> Relatable content. A sort of wave of metacognition and self-awareness when it comes to social media. Be real is an example of this wave. People are aware that social media is fake, yet the pretty content always gets pushed through the algorithm faster because that's what people engage with the most. You can't hide from the data. And that has become our new normal. Maybe the scale of authenticity will be pushed even further out in the future, where our new normal will include things like AI music, AI models, and even more bots. And maybe Virtual fashion will seem just as authentic to us as the clothes we wear on our backs today. Thank you for listening. This podcast is independently run, independently written, and produced. If you hate the sound of my voice, you can go read a transcript on my website, dresserpodcast.com. Find all the books, movies, and articles I used to research this episode there. You can follow the podcast on Instagram at Dresser Podcast. I'm on IG at Michelle Z. Chang. If you listen to every episode in season one, you are my favorite person. I hope you found it as fun and as valuable as I found creating it. I'm not sure when exactly I will come out with season two, Writing, researching, and producing just eight episodes took months. <laughs> I love doing it, so the work isn't an issue.
if you want more updates from me i'm sure i'll stay active on the podcast's instagram page you can dm me with questions or stories you want to share i'd love to hear them now on to my fashion trimmings this episode was probably one of my favorites to research and write just because it felt extremely tangible to everyday life Although I love thinking about the idea of luxury, it can sometimes feel very distant and unrelatable. However, with digital fashion, it feels much more accessible to everyone. The whole world is getting on board with the internet. In continents like Africa and in places like China and India, it has been a mobile-first transition and it's exciting to think about these ideas disseminating worldwide. Obviously, my ideas disseminating would be nice, but obviously I'm speaking to anybody out there who has a good idea can have the ability to disseminate them through the internet. I really feel like I needed to clear that up. It was really difficult to wrap my mind around the idea of digital fashion at first, only because the essence of clothes is that they are physical objects. They serve a dual purpose, to provide protection from the environment, but to also be used to express identity. If you think about clothes as more of an expression of identity, digital fashion naturally becomes the next step. I love fashion so much because it's a cultural industry. What I mean by this is maybe that's the reason why you love film or music or professional sports. A cultural industry is a snapshot into the sign of the times. It makes you feel closer to other people who are like you. Whether you hate or love tribalism, it's who we are. Through the clothes we wear, or the music we listen to, or the movies we like, we are showing off to others who we are. As more and more people spend their time in the digital realm, it will be the new place to show off. Why have a closet full of clothes if you don't really have anyone to show them off to? It feels foreign, definitely, but it is the shift we will have to contend with. Fashion, at the end of the day, is all about change and innovation. What's in one season is out another. The fashion houses that move into the digital space will get first movers advantage and also position themselves uniquely in the marketplace. I hate to talk in business terms, but the way I see it, the luxury fashion houses that move into this world first will be the ones defining it, and that is important. I just hope that that company has a little bit of semblance of morality to be the ones shaping our brave new world. Just a couple of years ago, it was unimaginable that someone could purchase a $3,000 handbag online, on the interwebs. Something about purchasing something online felt sketchy, and it also didn't feel very luxurious. Today, lots, but not all, Luxury fashion houses have fully embraced e-commerce. They have found a way to make the e-commerce experience feel luxurious. I'd imagine a similar shift will eventually happen with digital fashions. When the internet first started, one of the great advantages was the ability to create things at scale. You could disseminate news to a wider range of people than ever before with the click of one button. 
You could share a video as many times as you wanted. You don't have to be constrained by how many DVDs or CDs you could make. With the new era of the internet, I think the inverse will be true. It will become about creating scarcity, especially in the luxury fashion space. All right, folks, that's a wrap. It's the end of season one of Dresser. I'm going to take a little break, maybe play with my dog and get my life together, etc, etc. But you can best believe I'm working hard on season two. Thanks, guys.